podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the weekender, uh, Neil Atkinson. In front of me, I have Kiva O'Neill, Kim Gordon, Dan Morgan and Dan Austin. We're going to chat, firstly, well, to close the show, we'll chat about the brilliance of being in our third European final in four years, but we will start the show airing on the side of the negative as people have not been successful in the ballot and all of that's becoming clearer and clearer. It was a one in 4.6 chance. We'll talk about that reality also to come one for the future uh, with Josh Sexton and Neil Jones doing their little season sum up for us that is to come uh, here on the weekender plus I'm talking to David Mooney about the piece he wrote in Football 365 and there is something else as well that I've been talking up and saying it was really really good oh it's Matt Jones talking about the brilliance of Tramia uh, being at Wembley for three consecutive years had a lovely lovely chat with Matt before uh, Tramia going to see if they can get promoted to League 1 it's a very very full weekend I hope you're going to enjoy it and relax into it but we will accentuate the negative first and foremost and Dan Austin it's I think I think one of the things that sort of brought this home uh, in general this season is it being for English sides I know we like to see ourselves as being apart but I think seeing the reality of the fact that Arsenal and Chelsea have got 6,000 apiece and that us and <clears throat> Tottenham are left with 16,000 apiece as it's, it's just sort of emphasised to people that this is this is no way to ticket a football match really no way to ticket a final uh, yeah, absolutely. It's obviously it's unprecedented that, that it would be four English teams in a final, but UEFA know every single season that it's eminently possible that that can happen. Um, so it's possible you can have two finals that are supported very strongly and in high numbers by four clubs, and loads of people are going to want to go to the final. The statement that they put out um, after the the joint one was signed by the four different supporter groups the, the other day was just a joke. Um, it was it was sort of focused on on Bacho and understandably so because there are an absolutely incredible, um, incredibly low amount of tickets for that final. And they basically said, oh, you know, these things have to be planned two years in advance and we can't predict who's going to get to the final. All right, you can't predict who's going to get to the final, but they do not have to be planned two years in advance. They, they don't. Their process means they have to be planned two years in advance, but it's simply not necessary. They could wait if they really wanted to until after the semi-final stage of both competitions has taken place and then go, right, okay, one competition has got Liverpool and Tottenham in it, so we'll use uh, Wembley for that or we'll use uh, the Stadio Olimpico for that or whatever and we'll give them this amount of tickets. And, oh, it's only uh, Red Bull Salzburg versus um, Schalke in the Europa League final and no one's really asked about that, so we'll put that in Basel or wherever we want to put it for, you know, whatever sort of reasons. Um, I just think... They've they've got themselves into this position where the the hosting of the final is is a political endeavour, and that means that it has to be this longer plan, and that means that more tickets have to go to people who should never have the tickets. Like the the, the final in Kiev that we went to last year was only in Kiev because Ukraine agreed to build that stadium for the twenty twelve Euros that they were sharing with Poland and so on and so forth. So Platini does this deal with them back in twenty twelve and says, oh, you can have the final at one stage then regardless of the fact that the airport situation makes no sense, regardless of the fact that there isn't sufficient accommodation and stuff, it's it's any organisation is only as, as strong as its people. Um, mm. And the people that work at UEFA, um, high up in UEFA at least, all by and large have have uh, interests in, in other regards of football. So Nasser Al-Khalafi, for example, who is the uh, chairman of Paris Saint-Germain um, and high up in the sort of uh, realms of the Qatari royal family. Uh, Nasser Al-Khalafi is, is the chairman of Paris Saint-Germain. He's also the highest shareholder in being sports, which uh, pays more money to UEFA as a broadcaster than any other broadcaster. 
Um, and he's recently been elected onto the executive board of UEFA itself. So he basically Doing runs really a, well. He basically runs a broadcaster. He runs a football club, and now he's got a really strong say in all, all of UEFA's decision making. Really well qualified. Yeah, yeah she's, she's brilliant. Um, but that, if, if you've got people like that involved who clearly have uh, ulterior motives for whatever decisions they are making, then then what do you expect of them? You know, we can we can do the the protesting of, of UEFA and. and the letters that all four clubs of uh, supporter groups rather have combined to send have been really good, and all four of the clubs have made it very clear that they are unimpressed by the way UEFA has been going about doing things. But UEFA in- inherently is is wrong in the way that it is set up. So you know you can protect, we can protest it all we want. I th- I think that the only way beyond this sort of way of them doing things is if is if everything began to supersede UEFA. So where we always end up with this, Kim, is you end up having this structural argument, which Dan started to phase there. And we have a situation at the minute where, for instance, I would argue the FA isn't fit for purpose in any meaningful way, the English FA. Uh, and also it doesn't actually currently have a chief executive. So even if it was fit for purpose, it's got no one who can make realistic protestations on on English clubs' behalf. And this is... Neither does the Premier League, by no, the way. Nor does the EFL and nor does the PFA. Uh, not that the way football's being run in this country is currently in crisis, but you just have a little look at that. Um, Kim, there is a there is a thing here where you end up with these these structures. They end up being all bought in with one another, and I think that's what where where we've ended up in this situation where there's there's Arsenal and Chelsea fans struggling to get to Baku and only giving six thousand tickets each, and Liverpool and Tottenham are watching a ticket allocation for a final decrease and decrease. Well, as you said about the actual planning, the two years of planning that they do, right? So you can tell me right now that they planned Baku. They planned... <laughs> Put the hard yards in they, on the Baku they, deal. They did all of the research to know that the airport won't be able to accommodate a whole bunch of people coming in from London. So planning for two years, I'm sorry, but the argument just falls down right there when you haven't actually... You've actually overlooked the fact that mm. the airport can't accommodate... Baku can't accommodate... The, I mean, there's, there's three clubs from London and the biggest club in the north, <laughs> going across the English Channel, right, to Madrid and Baku. I love that Baku is further east than Syria. It's my favourite Baku fact. It's That's further east than Syria. As well, like, Azerbaijan is not a European country. The only reason that Azerbaijan play in Europe is, is for politically sensitive sort of Eurasian reasons. That's the only reason that they count as a UEFA member. They shouldn't be given the final anyway. It's not in Europe. And so Arsenal can't have one of their players who is Armenian or mm. any British Armenian citizens going to Baku. So uh, what kind of planning have they have they actually done? So they can't actually use this excuse of we need two years to plan because actually we've got Wembley that's empty right now. Okay, so why not do it there? It's the whole situation, I think, is frustrating, Dan. And <clears throat> when you start to talk about ticket ballots and things like that and people... I think that people accept that not everyone can go. I think that that's sort of like, I think there's a general sort of not everyone, not every Liverpool supporter can go, not every they'll season try. ticket holder can go, they'll try, but not every season ticket holder can go, not everyone can get in. I think there is a general sort of reasonable expect, sort of acceptance of that. It's when you see the the scale of the ineptitude, as Kim says, the idea, the myth that we're meant to buy into the mythology of it all, and it just doesn't stack up for, for 10 seconds when you actually give it any close scrutiny. Yeah, it's like it doesn't matter. It's, I mean, you know, you must know every year you're going to have the demand. So therefore, you know, equip yourself with the supply. 
It's only a couple of weeks ago that I realised it wasn't at the burn about this, this Champions League final. Yeah, Madrid, I just assumed it was going to be the largest stadium in Madrid. Yeah, they've actually put in the second biggest stadium in Madrid. You know, that's that again is... I mean, you go back to our first final under Klopp, Baal was ridiculous. Baal, you know, logistically was absolutely not up to it for Liverpool Football Club and their support to come over. That stadium was nowhere near equipped to what we could have brought into it. So this, I mean, this has been going on since we got into European Cup finals past the 2000s, I'd say. Um, I think when we look at it from our point of view, we need to honestly ask the question, is the club, in our opinion, acting with integrity? And I think for the first time in in a long time, we can say it is. I mean, as things been been mooted around finals previously you know you remember when the story came out when the the shareholders uh sold the shares to Hicks and Gillette and they give themselves some kind of yeah thing in stone that they would get you know aut- autonomy for for European Cup finals in the future and it was just written no matter if they haven't been to a game in 10 years they were eligible to get a, a ticket for the European Cup final which is ridiculous and is not integral and is not fair um but I think with the likes of Tony Barrett at the club I think you trust that these people will be doing what they can to make sure that the system is as fair as possible. And I think a lot of people can sleep or can at least, you know, rest on that, knowing that they've had a go and it's not it's, been for them. On this keyword, it was, it was uh, on the website and it's been put everywhere. I think it's it's noticeable the club's gone out of its way, uh, for instance, to have the electoral reform services undertake the ballot process. I mean, talk about trying to make sure that you, you're doing things as properly as possible. The idea they've gone and got that third party in. So there can be no sort of accusations. What doesn't help, though, is when you start to get the anecdotal stuff where, you know, some people, your groups of 10 who put in, there wasn't a ticket between them. We, we, we knew about this and not one of us got one. And But then you might hear something from somewhere else where three from five have got it. It's, it's sort of trying to take it all in when you remember it's one, one from 4.6. But to use the electoral reform services, I don't know what else you can do. I mean... It's nice to know that it's an independently run thing, but at the same time, it's just so upsetting because you hear if I know a lad who had like 60 in a big group of them and I think they got two or something. It's just like, how can this, you know, these people have been to like every game almost and they're not getting a ticket to watch the team play in the European Cup final. So just on that basic level, it's just sad because everyone wants to watch Liverpool play in the Champions League final and hopefully win the sixth title. But... um. I don't know how helpful it was that they wrote it was like so it dropped down from one one in four point six to one in four point one just to make you feel like, you know, that's zero point five little swing, you might might have helped a few of us out, but there's a lot out there who haven't got a ticket and you know, it is upsetting. But you just like I like that idea about, you know, see where see what teams are in and then go, right, we'll pick a city close, what's gonna work, like Wembley, boom, and there be, you know, there should be at least thirty thousand of each supporter at least in in that stadium, and you know, there probably will because Liverpool fans always find a way. But it shouldn't have to be like this. And the darkest thing about it is you don't feel it's going to change. It reminds me a little bit down of Glastonbury, uh, where it, there's this day where everyone gets psyched up for it and then becomes disappointed because one sort of eighty percent of the people who try to get a ticket aren't going to get a ticket, and it does sort of leave everyone a little bit like. And there's not much. There's not much any sort of individual can do about it. I don't think you know. I certainly wouldn't want it to be on longevity or anything like that because then you don't get younger people in. It's it is difficult. There's no there's no easy win when you take it from the football club side. The issue is trying to find ways to take it from UEFA side. But I sort of don't think that's Liverpool's job right now. Other people might think otherwise, but I think it's hard for Liverpool to 
make those representations. I think it should be the individual football associations, which in this instance there is four teams. Yeah, it's a good comparative Glastonbury. It, it just, that, I mean, the whole thing with that and this, it, it just almost feels a little bit archaic. Everything just feels a little bit, you know, surely in in the modern day there's a better way to do this. And I think when it gets to a point where not even football clubs, football supporters are just asking to be met halfway by the biggest governing body in football, just meet us halfway. You know, just give us something that would at least represent a fairer demographic of getting football supporters who want to support their team in a stadium for the final. And there's, there's I mean, there's, there's just too much acceptance with things like terminology like, you know, the UEFA family or the football family. Like, who is that? Let's let's have that accountable. Who is that? Tell us who it is. Tell us who's going through these doors. Well, that that's Gazprom, Heineken, PlayStation. They just want to, don't want to say it to them, so they call them the UEFA family as a way of... I still haven't had the pint of Gazprom. <laughs> All these years on, uh, would love one, but I, no, that is that is the way in which it goes. It is just to sort of round it off. Um, it is it is hugely frustrating. It is going to be hard for people, um, and it is one way. It's just difficult to see a way home on it, Dan. Yeah, um, the, the most frustrating thing is that UEFA don't seem to to want to learn from their own mistakes. So we had a very similar situation in Kiev last year, where people were not happy with the allocation, justifiably so. People were not happy with the access, justifiably so. Um, and then they they still do back home and, and they still um, have a really big round in Europe and barely give any of the tickets to supporters. And not only that, but they've absolutely ramped the prices up as well. It's not even like it's a small increase. I believe I'm correct in saying that the most expensive one last time around was around 350 quid, which is a joke anyway. But to, to then put that up to 600 euros at the top level is, is just a mess. And, and it's clear that they know they've got a ground there that they will sell out regardless basically of what price they put the tickets on at. So they're taking the absolute piss with it. And it's a drop in the ocean to them as well because it's it's only 4% of tickets, yeah, but that's 4% of Liverpool fans who are going on there tomorrow and they've got to pay that or not buy a ticket because they've been successful in the ballot and they're the last ones who get through on the website, so they've got no choice. UEFA make a bit of money from that. It's nothing compared to what they're getting paid by hundreds of television channels who are paying to broadcast it around the world but they still want that incremental increase and it's 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 just so frustrating because there's seemingly no desire on their part to to make things different i i feel for the club in a sense because i think it is very hard for them they know that they're disappointing an awful lot of people through this process i appreciate the transparency that they do the ballots with so i've been in three of them now i was i was fortunate this time around to actually be to get a ticket um, i didn't get one for kiev i didn't get one for basel but every time when I've been disappointed, I've appreciated the fact that they genuinely outline where all the tickets go. So they say, all right, we've got 16,300. Here's where they all go. Here's how many end up in the ballot. Here's your chance. It's still annoying when you go on and for Basel, you see that you've got a one in nine chance or whatever stupid number it was and one in 4.6 for this. But at least the club is saying to you, this is what we've done with them. And you can take issue with certain things. Like I'm not sure what about 1,500 <clears throat> tickets are doing going to players and former players. That seems like a lot to me. It's a lot more than what Tottenham are giving out today, so I'd question why that is. But by and large, the fact that they are at least showing people, all right, this is what we've done, this is why you haven't got a ticket, we simply can't make any more happen, I, I think people at least appreciate. I think it's mad that I've never been asked for feedback off UEFA for anything. You know, if no one who went to Kiev last season on their ticket got asked for feedback, hmm. you know, if you would have done, you'd have been told... You know, I wouldn't have said it, but you know, I, I'll tell anyone. I never showed my ticket to anyone last season at that final, and I had a genuine legit ticket. Well, I didn't they have don't to show. Care. They don't care, no. They really no, don't care. In terms of stadium, you know, security and safety and stuff like that, 
Are they bothered about that? Are they bothered for future events? No, but surely they should be. An organisation this big, hosting an event this big. I've never been asked, you know, what was your experience like? What could we do better? It's mad. Okay, then. Uh, thank you very much to everyone. Uh, we will do one for the future uh, with Josh and Neil, uh, then Matt Jones, then David Mooney. Back to us after that. Yeah, nice one, Neil. I'm joined by uh, Neil Jones from Goal.com. We just recorded a one for the future, a little uh, Academy Awards end of season from us. Uh, Neil, the big winners from 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 the awards we gave out, who would you say? Reese Williams, one who stands out, yeah. Paul Glatzel as Paul well. Glatzel, yeah. yeah. Bobby Duncan. Bobby well. Duncan, yeah. yeah. What a season they've had in terms of you know more than 50 goals between them. As a, as a strike duo, you don't get many strike duos in football, let alone academy football. So um, I think you have to say that the under-18s have been the star star performers of the academy, yeah. but it's, um, it was great. I mean, you were there, obviously. We were, we were at the, uh, the Etihad Complex. It was nice to see Pep Guardiola with a, a face like thunder for one, <laughs> and not, not getting his hands on the silverware. But um, fantastic, fantastic season for the 18s. You know, very entertaining. Been involved all the way with everything, and... With those two in attack, they've been um, they've always been worth a watch. I think it's worth giving a shout to the to the under twenty threes as well. It's been a it's been a you know a, a challenging season for them, a challenging season for Neil Critchley. There's been all sorts of factors for them to deal with, but I think there's still still positives you can draw from it in some regards. And 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 I think uh, he, him speaking after the Blackburn game, which which as as we said on the on the one for the future, it was a it was a dismal display really from them yeah. uh, as as a last game of season at Anfield as well. It seems like they've not had the uh, the best of luck at Anfield this yeah, season yeah. to be honest. But he mentioned that you know there's going to be a few changes next season, and I think that'll be that'll be good for them to sort of freshen up, bring a few of the younger lads through who have been so successful in the under 18s yeah. this season and, and give them a chance. Yeah, you're getting you're getting players who've got a habit of winning, haven't you, as well, who are coming up to, to the side next season, I'm pretty sure. Probably the two the two forwards will be you know, leading the line for the uh, the twenty threes next season. I'm pretty sure Reese Williams will be among them. I I wouldn't be surprised if Elijah Dixon Bonner, Yasula Lucy, people like that, V Yaros maybe are going up. Um and I know obviously I know it's it's not the easiest job in the world being an under twenty threes manager. You know, at various points this season, he's been using sixteen year olds, and then he's been using Alex Oxlade Chamberlain and Joe yeah. Gomez. You know, the following game and that, and you know, he's lost players mid season to loan. He's had players brought back from loan. Ben Wood Ben standing out, obviously. So it's it's not easy to get that level of consistency, and I think that's why you've seen that the under eighteens have had the ability to go and be consistent whereas the 23s have looked a little bit disjointed but like you say credit to them he still finished fourth in the table which if you'd have said that in November, December, you wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have expected it because at one stage I think they were looking down, they were going to be bottom three. I suppose one of the other ways you can look at it in terms of going into next season as well is that you know Liverpool as a senior side and as a club are getting into a much sort of healthier position in terms of where they want to be at with their squad as well. So there's going to be less you know Lazar Markovic is possibly yeah, Conor Randall's so, yeah. kicking around going into going into next season. So there's going to be less of, of those sort of factors to deal with. But it's also just going to be going to be nice for them to have a, have a much more settled group, which you which you imagine they will do next season. With some of these younger lads coming through, it's it's one of the advantages that Barry Lutas has had throughout much of this season is that he's been able to sort of call on the same lads and and it will be a, a much sort of younger, fresher group. And you imagine it'll be close to what we saw from the under 19s who who thrilled during their UEFA Youth League yeah. run this season, and that that will be that will be a positive for everyone to see, really, won't it? Yeah, you think so? You, I mean, that's what you get that togetherness, don't you, from a team? And yeah. you know, if you've got Duncan and Glatzel who've played the season together and they move up together, then you can expect that. Even though the levels are jump and they're going to be up against bigger, stronger, more experienced players, you'd imagine in, in the Premier League too, they'll still have the um, the belief that they can do it and they can play together. Um, conversely, excited about what's coming from the 16s as well. You know, I've, I've been told a couple of players to keep an eye on, certainly from from that group, and we'll see them, I'm sure, in the summer. 
and see if the, the hype can build around them. Well, not the hype, but the, the excitement can build yeah. around them. Um, and then obviously you've still got a lot of players potentially coming back off loans. I'm guessing most of them will go out again. But the ones who don't, they're the ones who are going to obviously find themselves in the 23s. That's always the challenge, really. And you think of, you mentioned there, Conor Randall, you know, with the greatest will in the world, he probably shouldn't still be at Liverpool, unfortunately. Yeah. Not 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 in a in a nasty way. It's just that for his career, it's probably doing him no favours playing for Liverpool. Same with someone like Juanma, who's you know he looks about thirty three. You know, I don't. I, I, I'm, I think he's about aged quite a lot. Twenty one, twenty two. But you know, you think about his career, he should be looking to play first team football. I know that there's a couple of players now: Cody Whelan, Connor Masterson, Bobby Adekanye, um, who are going to leave and look for that. So. Good luck to them. Good luck to the ones who who eventually leave. I'm, I'm pretty sure Liam Miller will be be one who, who goes on a permanent. Um, probably Herbie Kane might be another one of those. So good luck to them. But exciting times to see whether these uh, these winners from the under 18s can can take that on a level. And you mentioned it before as well. A huge season for for Barry Lutas, and it's it's hard not to be made up for him. Really, you know, he might not follow anyone on Twitter now that now that he's on there. Know, maybe yeah, the fame's fame, getting to his head a bit, but no, he's <laughs> he's a genuinely nice fella, and and the way he's the way he's coped them under 18s this season because it can't have been easy to sort of get them piggybacking off off the back of, of Steven Gerrard last yeah. season where there was so much press around it. But he's 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 dealt with it really well, obviously in terms of success they've had, but also in terms of managing them them young lads who would have had that. Season Season in, in the limelight for quite a few of them last season. You know, think about lads like Abdi Sharif and Elijah Dixon Bonner, who were a big part of, of, of Gerard's plans last season. Yeah. But you know, Barry Lutas has been able to sort of keep them level-headed, keep them on on the right path, and, and they look like they could have a big season for them in the 23s next year. Yeah, definitely. And he was without a few players and injured as well. Tom Clayton missed second half of the season. He was an important player for him. He missed Eddie Tagseth pretty much the whole whole season. Yeah. Um, Patrick Wrightman, I think, was another one who was signed to come in. Vitaros missed back end. You know. Certainly important games when um, when he he did his ankle over in um, in Zagreb mm-hmm. in the in the youth league. So he's done a great job. He's he's a very um, you know you, you speak to him as well, obviously, but he's a very calm, level-headed person. He yeah. doesn't you know he doesn't strike me as someone who's getting too emotional, too too up and down, depending on results. He knows most of the players anyway from the age of thirteen, fourteen. You know he he, he tells you stories about. First time he met Paul Glatzel, I think he was twelve you know, at Liverpool. So he he's got the trust of those players. He's got the knowledge of of what they're what makes them tick. What what he can get out of them, as well. And you have to say he's done a fantastic job. You know, first youth cup win since two thousand seven. First final since two thousand nine. Went deep in the youth league. Only lost on penalties again. Second season running. You know, the case of the the penalty shootouts in the in the quarterfinals. Um, could have gone. Through in the the Premier League Cup as well, had it not been for a, a red card, um, but yeah, he, he, he can be proud of it. You know, he's uh, he's done a, he's done a grand job, and I think um, he'll look back on his year big learning curve, but also a big success. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the case for both managers as well in terms of positive takes, but also challenges to deal with. And uh, the latest challenge the academy are going to be dealing with, they're going to be uh, climbing Snowden. It's been it's been yeah. announced uh, just yes just, just yesterday, just last night. Actually, they're going to be uh, doing that for the Stephen Darby Foundation, which is a which is a fantastic cause and a great effort from everyone involved. They're looking to raise three thousand um, pounds. We'll leave a just giving link that'll be on our social media. I think and also they're already the there as well. I think I think Mr. Milner and Mr. Robertson have uh, have helped them help them very much very close. Oh to right, okay. Yeah. Last yeah. time I checked, it was on one thousand eight hundred. 
hundred. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they're, they're very close to it at least today. Yeah. Oh great! Well, hopefully we can uh, get, make them beat it anyway, and then uh, you know get a few more quids in for the for the Stephen Darby Foundation. It is a fantastic cause, as we said. But yeah, nice one, Neil, for your contributions well, on the show throughout the season. If you haven't listened to one for the future, if you don't subscribe to Amphora, make sure you get on that as well. And I'll hand you back to Neil Atkinson now. It's our Reds Bet Chat, Reds Bet Partner with the Anfield Wrap through 2019. Uh, very, very pleased to have them aboard. Uh, I've got John Gibbons with me. Uh, if you are going to gamble, please do so responsibly. If you want to go to Reds Bet, it is redsbet.com. Uh, they support fan media and fan related causes as discussed. Who's going to win the FA Cup? Uh, I don't know, is the, uh, is the honest answer. I've got a, just a little bit of a feeling that um, Man City, you know how we all got ill after the league campaign finished? Yeah, uh, or as in our office. Yeah, and it was basically because we were so busy, no one could get ill. Yeah, and then we got to the end, and then everyone was just done in because the adrenaline's over, and you know you've been racing and racing. It happens to me at Christmas as well because I'm always chocking in December with all the brass band stuff. Yeah, so I'm I always get ill. Um, so I think because City have had this really intense period, they won fourteen. It's you know it's obvious, you know it's dealing with Pep. I don't know. I think they might. I think they might be knackered next week. I think they might. It might just be like, oh, you know. And there's maybe one more kick and stuff like that. But I've just got a bit of a feeling that they might be a bit flat at the weekend. Like it might be like they, they push this big thing and they've done it, and the league's the one they wanted, um, and they've got the league cup. And you know, there's this, this, you know, there's a historic treble, but it's historic in our eyes. I think more than David Silver's, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like we we know what how difficult it is to do the the free domestic things, but. You know, is Fernandinho that bothered? Do you know what I mean? So I think there's. I'm not saying they're not going to be bothered, but I think it's like it's not. It's not a huge thing for them in their heads. And so I've just. I've got a feeling that if Watford are early on it, then they could do them. Um, Does that make sense? It makes sense completely. My other thing on this is in general is Watford have finished both games against them really strongly, um, and I just sort of wonder if Watford can. So I think Watford. I think the main, the best way Watford can be on it early is not to go in behind at half time. I think if Watford, that's almost my definition of be on it early. I don't think they win the game in the first twenty or anything like that, and I don't think it almost suit them in a sense to become sitting ducks and 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 let City start to play attack v defence. But I just think if Watford, I've got a quiet fancy that Watford can do something, and not in a sort of a I'd like City to get beat way. I would actually quite like Watford to win. I spoke to Bradley Hayden for Friday. Show. Oh, how is he? It's the it's the greatest day of his life. No, it genuinely is. Like this is it. You look at you look at the Watford honors board, and it is it. it well, it's it, it's very. It's not very honourable. <laughs> um, you know, you look at it, and it's it's they've won nothing. Mm. You know, they've, they've literally never won a major trophy, and uh, you know, I think that that's. Uh, so if you like, Watford season cannot be any better than this if they win it. I mean, they, this is literally the best thing that Watford can do as a football club. They can almost complete being Watford. Do you reckon Elton's going? I'd like to think Elton's going. What the fuck is Elton doing if he's not going? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, although he's got that three-year farewell tour. I know, but he's got to be like playing <laughs> playing gaffs like witness. But he's got to be able to. He's got to be able to get this one off. You he's know the most I mean? famous man he's been to witness. I mean, Paul Simon knocked around there for a while, didn't he? But uh, was he that Elton, famous at that time? Yeah, I reckon Elton is the most famous man he's ever been to witness. I think he could well be. I mean, he's not Witness's finest son. That is obviously Stu Mather. But <laughs> yeah, he could be. Um, and yeah, I, I really hope it. I really hope Elton is there, and I really would like them to win it in a way that it'd be a bit different if it was Wolves. Not least because the fans were all the way they were last week, but also 
like it'd be a bit different if it was Wolves because because you sort of think that Wolves see it as a stepping stone. They see it as a marker yeah, on the greater got, Wolves journey. Bigger, bigger things ahead. Whereas um, I think Watford would just see it as this is the, this is the best day of our lives, and it's sort of like it, when you do the magic of the FA Cup thing, and everyone always does it like it's a lower division thing and all that. Not really like this. I always remember so when people, and I understand why you take the piss out of Pardew when he does the dance. Because he's doing a dance and he looks ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But there is the thing that when Palace go one 0 up against Man United, it's the best. It's it's potentially about to be the best moment in Crystal Palace's history. Yeah. And it's the best thing that can happen to Pardew in his whole career. And so yeah, he was an absolute divvy. But you, when you when you see it that way, rather than see it through the lens, because what we do in these games is so we're, from a Liverpool point of view, we're all looking at the game through the lens of Man City. Yeah. And we're not looking at it through the lens of Watford. Hmm. So when Javi Gracia does a mad dance. Think of it from a Watford perspective and not yeah. from a... Yeah, that's what I think. Um, you met Paul Robinson at, at, at Aintree. <laughs> yeah, I liked him. Uh, nice fella. Uh, he, there's a Reds bet bet here, which is Man City to win 3-1 and Aguero to score in the 90 minutes. It's 19-1. to 1. Feels long. It does feel long, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, like despite if, everything I've just said. Maybe they don't fancy City either. <laughs> that feels long to yeah, me. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't quite see City winning if Aguero doesn't score in a weird way, whereas in the league games, I've sort of been focusing it all on Sil- on Sterling. I still, yeah. By the way, I still don't know who scored for City in the 4-1. You know, don't tell me. I know three of them. I know one, and I don't want to say it in case I complete your four. I don't think you should ever know. <laughs> I've only seen two. I haven't seen any. Yeah. Uh, I'm really pleased. Well, I did the... Um... The hospitality bunker half time. I feel like I could discuss that now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, well, now, you, can, now you got, can't. Now I've got three months to uh, for everyone to forget. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just worried they might have long memories on those doors. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, well never mind. Uh, I had a good one. I've got this idea that you've got, like in yours, you've got a drawer with a number of different coloured wristbands <laughs> in, and you just, you just, you just ca- t- carry one of each and then just see how it's going on the yeah. day. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I'm just bunking into a bar that you then have to buy your mail for. So, you know what I mean? It's not like no one's losing out. Uh, no, just just to be clear, Liverpool. Uh, <laughs> I'm not getting anything for free. Uh, um, but uh, but yeah, um, what was I going to say? So I saw the, 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 the two the two first half goals basically. So I then I know who scored one of the others. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Okay. Well, you just keep that information to yourself, my <laughs> friends. But it's like you know, Steve Armstrong claims that he's never seen the Aguero goal that clinches Man City the league. Yeah. So I, mean, I think he's got. You've got to work hard on that, but I can accept that Steve would. Oh yeah, yeah. His commitment would be wholehearted. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you'll just never, never know. I reckon that if Steve thought he was going to see it and there were no alternatives, he'd poke his own eyes out. <laughs> he'd blind himself <laughs> rather than watch it. Uh, yeah. No. I, I, I think I never will. And if you're listening to this, don't do a thing where you now tweet me some names or anything like that. Like I'm working really, really hard to never, ever, ever know. Like Game of Thrones spoilers. It's it's like on a whole new level because because the <laughs> thing about Game of Thrones. Spoilers is people are eventually going to watch it. Yeah, yeah ah, there's no yeah, way I'm watching it. Yeah, yeah like, spoiler for life. I'm almost annoyed. I know what the scoreline was. Do you know? Like it was enough just to know they'd won. Yeah. I, I, anyway, uh, how many of the other scores do you know from that day? I know it went mad because I don't want to look at anything. I know it went mad between Palace and someone. There was a five-three in there Bournemouth. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Because I always want to know what the mad one is. Well, there's a, there's a, I think there's a really good goal for Bournemouth as well that, that maybe we should try and watch, but not if nothing else. Okay, I'll try and do that. Uh, I can't do anybody who scored, yeah. And then obviously, uh, I only found out that Everton drew, I think, Tuesday. They drew at Spurs, didn't they? Did they? Yeah. 
Okay. Any, I mean, this is I mean, this is wonderful listening for the listeners. I presume you know the card of being Man United. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was annoyed that everyone was happy. <laughs> what are you fucking happy about? It's funny, like. Oh, it's very funny. But what are you happy about? <laughs> it's more the idea for me. The funny bit was the idea that Man United's players, who anyway would have been dreading it regardless, yeah. had to do the lap. Yeah. You wouldn't want to do the lap, would you? No. Try and find a way to get out of it. Um, anyway, so three. Anyway, we should probably do this. Uh, so three, uh, three, one. Uh, Robbo's picks nineteen to one. Paul Robert, Paul Robinson. That is. Um, do you want some Champions League final action? Uh, yeah, go on. Uh, it's limited at the minute. Uh, I like this one though. A goal to be scored in second half injury times four to one. I don't like it as a bet. I, mm. I, like I'm dreading the the the, the, the prospect of it. It feels a bit short for me. Okay. Uh, us to win 4-0, 39-1. 39? They love the nines today, don't they? They do. Um, yeah, I think we might batter them. I mean, I think we, I'm not saying we're definitely going to win, but I, I can see a situation where we batter them. Okay. Uh, John Gibbons into that sort of thing. Um, to win it on pens is 14s. Oh, don't forget me. There's this, there's this, there's this, there's one of the psychologies of betting is that you gamble on things that you want to happen, mm. and so I don't know, like they could price that at a hundred to one. <laughs> and you feel like you know, you know, yeah, you're lumping on and then going, oh, I'm, I'm making this more likely now. Yeah, I would like if it was if it was against like last season against Real Madrid, I'd have been coming up with all sorts of scenarios and all that sort of stuff. I really, really like pens. Oh God, uh, Liverpool to win an extra times nine to one. Oh, that's quite nice. I think. It is actually quite nice. Yeah. Uh, that is quite nice. Uh, all right, what else have we got? If anything, uh, to sum this up. Um, do you want to know the prices for next season's Premier League? Are you uh, ready for that yet? I think. Do you want me to guess them? Yeah, go on. I so I think City will be odds on. They are. I'll go four to six. You're not far off. It's twenty to twenty-seven here. Four to six. Is, <laughs> four to six is not far off at all. Uh, and then I reckon we'll be five to two. Uh, brilliant, brilliant work, John. Eleven to four. Liverpool eleven That's to four bad, here with yeah. Reds bet. Uh, really, really close. Uh, do you want to guess who's third in the list? I reckon it's Man United, which is bananas. It's Tottenham. Uh, oh, Man United, but Man United are fourth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Tottenham at 11s, uh, Man United 12s, Chelsea 18s, and Arsenal 25s. Um, I, mm. I couldn't quite have United at 12s and Arsenal tw- 25s, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think that's, that feels a bit, all a bit something or other. Uh, City 3,000 to 1 to be relegated. Uh, something to look forward to. <laughs> uh, all right, then. What Everton. What are Everton? No, the, the eternal conundrum. <laughs> 66 to 1. When do you lump on? I'm going to wait till it gets to 100. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known as the Kev Walsh. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much to John Gibbons uh, for this. Um, honestly, I wanted to do a thing before. I can't say it. I can't necessarily say it out loud. But I, wanted, I mean, I have talked about bunking into hospitality, so maybe it's, I was a, doing it's a one ch- of those things was... where we just see who's listening. Yeah, we just see who's listening. We'll find out, won't we? <laughs> I did a thing before where I was doing a Tramia thing with Matt Jones. It's on as part oh, of this yeah. show. And one of the things I wanted to say was that Tramia were two seasons away from uh, the Merseyside Derby, Everton in the Championship. Uh, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Hope you've enjoyed this. Joined by Matt Jones from City Talk, not to talk about City Talk, but to talk about Tramia Rovers. And Matt, you're going to Wembley for the third consecutive year. Uh, I mean, I think everyone at Tramia, every supporter of Tramia would have taken this before a ball was kicked this season. <laughs> Definitely would. Uh, when people said to me, where do you think Tramia will come? I said somewhere probably between 8th and 12th, but just miss out on the playoffs narrowly. And uh, as it proved to be, I was slightly underestimating what they could achieve. And, and that's absolutely brilliant because, as you say, third year running, they hadn't been to Wembley for 17 years. Uh, they hadn't been promoted for 27 years until last year. And uh, and now suddenly they've got a chance of making it back to back, which would be a, a quite remarkable achievement. 
it will be a remarkable achievement. We'll talk about Norwood uh, first and foremost. We were just on the way in there. You were saying that this is now a side that's built to get the very best out of him, that his, his, his tremendous goal-scoring ability has been acknowledged and he's well on the way to becoming a Tramier Rovers legend if he isn't one already. I think he is. He is one already. He scored the goal last year that put them um, into League Two for starters and he's got 32 goals this year, which to, to put that into context, I think it's the eighth best season ever by a Tranmere Rovers player uh, in terms of goals. Um, if you look at some of the names that he's joining on that list, he's joining the likes of uh, John Aldridge, who got 40 in one year, of which 18 were in the Cup. Well, Norwood's barely played any Cup games because he didn't play in the League Cup or the Checker Trade Trophy. So what he's done is remarkable. I do think the team is set up to play for him. They play with a, the one striker, mainly Connor Jennings will sit just behind him or they'll have a, a flat five midfield. And, and that means that he is the man that most of the chances go to. But you can't take away from just how good his finishing is. You look at the goal against Forest Green and it's a, it's a snapshot and it's a brilliant shot that goes right in the corner and out of reach of the goalkeeper. And, and that's been the story of his season. He has improved so, so much since he came to Prenton Park. And his contract up at the end of the year. There's lots of speculation over whether he'll stay or whether he'll go. I personally think he'll probably move on because I don't think they can compete with, with what other clubs will offer. But if I was James Nord, I'd be looking at it and thinking, I'm the main man at Tranmere. I'm their seventh top scorer of all time, eighth top scorer of all time. I could I could become well, a cult hero. I, I mean, certainly if they go up, I mean, what, what you say there is, I, I saw a little compilation of some of his goals and you just mentioned they're right in the corner. It is an all, almost like, and maybe it's because of the strange camera angles and the pictures, but I don't think it is. He very much looks to me like an old, almost 1980s-style centre-forward, where a lot of it is just putting the ball where the goalkeeper can't get it. There's not a ton of spectacular strikes, but everything looks right in the corner to me. Yeah, he's, he's a good finisher, and you go back two years, and the number of times where he'd hit the goalkeeper in that kind of situation is uh, remarkable compared to now. <laughs> I did ask him about it a few months ago, and he said, well, the difference is that the, the goalkeepers in the National League don't dive, and the ones in the Football League do, and that's why I'm able to score more, because they're diving out of the way of it. Um, but... Yeah, he's, his finishing is is spectacular in terms of where he can put the ball, but he doesn't he doesn't get many from outside the box. He's got no. a few. The brilliant goal against Ebbsfleet in the playoff semi final last year, being one of them against Cheltenham, first home game of this season. But generally, those goals are coming uh, from inside the box, and it's very predatory. But saying that, he leads that line so well. He will keep a defender occupied for ninety five minutes of a game. They won't have a moment's peace. He's strong. He can hold the ball up, and he has developed into a really good all round striker. Uh, Tramia finished sixth um, in their League Two. Just to be clear, top three go up. There were only three points in the end behind Mansfield. Mm-hmm. Often we talk about the playoffs as though it's a it's a vaguely unfair way to decide this, but it is worth pointing out to listeners that, for instance, Mansfield finished fourth, Stevenage in tenth were on seventy points, Mansfield were on seventy six. So it really is tight at the top of League One, the League Two. Sorry, there was only really Lincoln who really sort of marked themselves out as the outstanding side, Matt. And so ending up in this in this playoff final against seventh place Newport for Tramier, you can make the argument it is on merit. They have been as good as the best of the rest through the season. Yeah, I think they have. I think the league congested up quite a lot towards the back end of the campaign. If you look at the number of points that Tranmere dropped in their final few games, the number of points that Berry and Mansfield dropped as well, and MK Dons, it did make it tighter than it possibly could have been at one point. And easy to forget that Tranmere going into the penultimate game of the season could still have uh, won promotion automatically if they'd managed to beat Berry and then pick something up against Crawley on the last day of the season. So it was tight, but 
their form, I think, in terms of results doesn't reflect the performances. You look at some of the, the results they've had. They drew with Lincoln away from home, who won the title that day. They drew with Berry at home, who won promotion that day. So a lot of the results that they've had have been against um, good, good sides. The running was fantastic in terms of the teams that they were playing. They, they beat MK Dons. They lost to Forest Green. So it was a game against one of their rivals pretty much every week. And I think that actually has set them up really well for the playoffs. Yeah. It would have been awful if they'd gone into the playoffs, in my opinion, having played with no disrespect to them. But their last five or six games have been against your Yeovils, your Oldhams. Your, Port Vale, Cambridge. Yeah, exactly. Because it just wouldn't have been preparation. But they've had that intensity all the way through and they've been able to maintain that into the, the semi-final matches. But to be fair, the prospective opponents in Newport County have also had that intensity and they're also unbeaten since mid-March now there's a lot of draws in there what you were saying before about the league bunching up I think this is part of how Newport have managed to sneak into these playoffs they are on for instance across the course of the season a zero goal difference but Newport have found themselves effectively by being very 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 difficult to beat that's how they've got themselves to where they are yeah definitely they came to Prenton Park in I think it was October or November and they won 1-0 and for the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes, they absolutely scored Tranmere. They were brilliant and then they got 1-0 up and that was it. They weren't interested in doing anything else in the game. They just applied the gamesmanship that you so often see at that level of football and, and they saw it out in fairness, pretty well. Maybe a, a stronger referee would have clamped down on it, but that's the kind of side they are. They, they will get a, a goal or try and get an early goal and then they will just try and see the game out. And I don't think Tranmere will afford them that luxury at Wembley this time. Completely different Tranmere team this time around to, to what we saw at the start of the season because they brought in the likes of David Perkins, who adds bags of experience, uh, Kieran Morris, Ben Pringle, Sid Nelson. They've really kind of restructured the spine of that team and it's uh, it's paying dividends at the moment. But yeah, they're a good side, Newport. We saw that in the FA Cup. They, they gave Man City a good run they, they beat Leicester City they're, they're a decent side and uh, hopefully they just have a bit of an off day um, on the idea of going up it's the it's the question that feels as though it's looking too far ahead but it is worth pointing out that uh, the Paliosas have targeted Tramiere as a League One club that's what they've been saying Tramiere it should be a League One club it's got the catchments they may even at some point feel as I do it could go above League One even but is there a minor worry somewhere in the back of your mind this could just be coming too soon or do you just think that, listen, that's next season's problem? No, I just think um, the way that they've managed to build the squad this year um, from a league, a National League 1 to a League 2 one shows that they can make that next step to League 1 if need be. They've got a lot of players in there who are League 1 quality. I think some will probably leave at the end of the season because they'll be tempted by uh, going to bigger clubs who will be able to pay bigger wages than Tranmere. But if Tranmere go up, uh, it's going to be a fascinating division next year, League One. Bolton are starting on minus 12, possibly more. So that's that's already, you're looking at maybe only three relegation spaces because that would be a mountain to climb for them given their financial disposition. Maybe Berry could go into administration given their financial problems. And suddenly you're looking at a, a league table where there's already two teams starting the, the season on minus 12 points. Well, if you're a new side going into that division, you're thinking this could be the best possible time to, to try and stabilise yourself in it. It shows, doesn't it, the precarious nature of the clubs down there because it looks the situation at Bolton looks awful. You're right to point Berry out as well. And again, when you're talking about the way Trammy has been run, that this isn't, you know, this is this is the way a club's been run now for three, four, five years. It's what your book's about. Your book didn't just focus on last season. It focused on a number of seasons. That this is has been a journey where it's been very much about putting building blocks in place and not gambling year after year after year and ending up where some of these clubs have ended up. Yeah, um, they knew they had to come up last year. I think if they hadn't, then financially it would have spelled quite quite a bit of trouble but you know they got over the line in that Boreham game and the rest is history but it, it, I do worry about the state of lower league football I, I really do you look at the number of teams who have either been 
up in court facing court cases because of their yeah. financial disposition or they haven't paid their players on time this season. It it's, feels like we're having a tipping point moment, doesn't it? Because there's a number of clubs who, when you look at them and you read a little bit of analysis about you, like there's a precipice here. In le- bottom half of the Championship, League One, League Two. It's worrying. It, it's your Boltons, it's your Berries, it's your Notts Counties, your Macclesfield, Southend United... Oldham, that's six teams. Yep. Six teams that I can list just off the top of my head who've all struggled this year. And there'll be more who are coming close as well. So it is a, an odd financial disposition to be in. Um, but yeah, you're right. Tranmere have, have done things pretty much on a on an even keel. They're increasing their money because they're getting bigger crowds at the moment. And look, don't be kidded. That's because they've had big games. And I'm sure that'll stabilise a little bit towards the start of next season, whatever division they're in. But certainly things at the moment look like they're, they're pretty positive. And Wembley on the 25th. Yeah. Um... It will be huge, and Tramley will take a lot of support. I think Newport will as well. In many senses, it could actually be, given the, the, the four sides who are in the playoffs, the EFL's best mm. attended outcome, I would argue, Tramia versus Newport. It'll be it'll be a huge occasion, and one for this whole Tramia side, not just Norwood, not just the manager, to really get the teeth into. Yes, definitely, and, and you mentioned the fans there. I think we've got a real good chance of taking significantly more than the, the two playoff finals. So I think it was it was roughly 15,000, 14,000 for the first year against Forest Green and around about ten to 12,000 last year against Boreham Wood. But there are a number of factors that I think play into Tramia's hands for taking a bigger fan base this time. Key point number one, it's not on a Premier League weekend. It was on the final weekend of the Premier League last two years. So that would rule out any floating Liverpool or Everton fans who might think about it. But then it's cheaper than the National League, believe it or not. (laughs) Of course it is. (laughs) You've got a week week longer to organise it than you had for the National League playoff final, which I think is key as well. And it's a more attractive game, let's be honest. It's a League 2 playoff against a Newport, and and that makes the mouthwater a little bit more than Forest Green or Borum Wood. So hopefully there'll be around... 17 to 18,000 Tranmere fans there and it'll be a good atmosphere at Wembley because they'll be if that's the case I reckon about the same from Newport so you're looking at about 35,000 I know we're 10 days in advance a lot can go wrong trading will be pretty intense at the minute mind you you've probably given them a couple of days off right now as we're talking but then it will begin to begin to ratchet up at the start of next week but all that said uh, everything you've seen from Tranmere this season are you confident? Yeah, I'm always confident. I say always confident. I wasn't confident going into the away leg against Forest Green because I just didn't think... Well, you they... should have put them to the sword first, like exactly. going down to 10 for 75 minutes and all those chances. Exactly. I just didn't think they'd quite done enough in the first leg and, and I was wary that Forest Green are a, a huge bogey side for Tranmere, but they got over that hoodoo and they did it brilliantly and... Uh, there were plenty of uh, smiles on Tranmere faces after that game. So, yeah, definitely confident going into it. Uh, I think it will be a completely different game to the two we've had against Newport this season in which Tranmere failed to score, actually, a 1-0 defeat and a 0-0 draw. I think the atmosphere will help Tranmere because they've been in it before. You look at Scott Davis, Connor Jennings, James Nord, Jay Harris, Manny Month. They've all been in this. This is Manny Month's third playoff final in a row and he's won the previous two because he won against Forest Green, uh, won against Tranmere for Forest Green and he won with Tranmere against Boreham Wood. So there's that experience there and I just think that's going to play a key, key part. There's so many big game players in this side and, and they will stand up, I'm sure. Excellent stuff from Matt. Get excited about it. It's Tramier. It's a week on Saturday. We're doing this one a little bit early, but we'll talk about the other two playoff finals somewhere on the Anfield wrap across the next week. But that is your Saturday one. Uh, do look forward to it. Do watch it, even if you're not going down. It will be great to see Tramier continue on the march towards the championship. Delighted to have David Mooney on to talk about the piece he's written this week for Football 365. I don't read much of David's writing. I hope that's because he doesn't do much of it, and I also therefore hope he does more (laughs) um, on the whole, uh, in that it was a very good piece which discussed 
the current situation that Manchester City find themselves in around FFP, around the way the club has responded to the FFP discussion slash allegations slash process, also uh, ended up muddied with the uh, the bus uh, scenario as well. And David, your argument first and foremost was that football supporters don't really get to choose that we, we, we have our club and we support them in the first place. And we may not agree but the agreement is never really explicit. We don't sign off on their every PR statement. Yeah, I mean, to, to kind of roll it back, the the argument that I um, that kind of wound me up over this, it's uh, the weird thing is, is although although I I um, I actually said in the piece that I wrote it on my phone outside work, I was I was waiting to to go and teach a class that I teach and. You know, I've been browsing Twitter. I'd seen a, a lot of this uh, sort of stuff going on, and it, it, the the irony is, is that it wasn't actually about FFP to start with. It just kind of became that as I was as it was spilling out, um, and the it, it, it just kind of struck me that you know I was I was a Manchester City fan a long time before Shape Mansour arrived at City, and the. The argument you hear a lot from uh, from people, a lot outside of football, I'll say a lot, it's a lot less from football fans because I think football fans get it and get that they've that they've kind of done the same thing. But when, when you pick your club as a child, you, you you generally pick it via your parents or your friends, or you, you you are indoctrinated into that that kind of way of thinking. It's it's almost like a religion in that sense. You 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 don't really have that much say over it. And you know, for 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 years, I was in a playground in in school. I was you know on the street, with my friends talking about Manchester City as the greatest team ever, and saying, "Well, no, here, they are the greatest team ever because of this, that, and the other." When actually, demonstrably, they they clearly weren't. They were so far off the pace. And what that what that shows is that your relationship, your what it would be now customer corporation relationship yeah. with the football club is, is is completely different to what it is to all the other entities out there and so when you get the argument back that uh, well if you don't agree with what the owners are doing when it comes to money for instance the, the way that they that the way that they put money into the football club or if you um, don't agree with uh, the practices in their country in this case Abu Dhabi for Manchester City then turn your back and walk away and it's I find it so baffling that 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 a lot of people don't grasp that football fans just can't do that and switch it off. It's, it's very easy if you don't agree with, say, for instance, Amazon's tax practices or, or Starbucks tax uh, practices. You can very easily just not use Amazon and not use Starbucks. They're they're, they're not. You, you don't when you're a child join up to the uh, the, the religion of Amazon. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so. The idea that you can just say, well, actually, you know what, my support of this football team and my enjoyment of watching this football team endorses what happens in Abu Dhabi. I don't agree with it. I really, I, I, I really want to. I, I really want two things. My, my two objectives for the piece, first of all, was uh, the first one was to get City fans to stop defending the uh, the owners. They're, they're big enough. They're old enough. They don't need us to defend them. And the second one was to stop getting other football fans to stop asking City fans to defend them. And, and it kind of it always casts in the light of, yeah, you've, you've had a great football team this year and you've played really well this year, um, but the human rights in Abu Dhabi are awful, aren't they? Go on, justify that. And it's, the, the answer is, well, yeah, City have played well, but I can't justify what happens in Abu Dhabi. I'm not going to try. And 
I, it, it's the the argument of, of where sports washing comes in, and I think I, I I don't want City fans to get caught up in having to defend the club because of who the owner is and who put the money in in the first instance. And I, I'm, I, what what interests me, and the funny thing is, when writing this, I don't have the answer to this. Is does that make me a hypocrite for continuing to go to City, or does it just make me naive? Does it make me you know, somebody who's got this emotional attachment that, so, that, that can't let go. And I, 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 I really, I don't know where the line is so, in all of that, if that I makes wanna, sense. The fact that you use sports washing, it's really interesting because I think one of the things that sports washing needs is willing helpers. And it's interesting that your piece, and I think that I saw a lot of the comeback on your piece, I was actually part of it in terms of social media chat. But one of the things that sort of occurred to me was everyone was coming at it because, not least because of who I follow and how bubbles work, was coming at it from a Liverpool perspective, where I think it was quite bold, was if you take it from a Manchester City perspective, I think what you are arguing is if these people are going to try to use Manchester City to sports wash themselves, we don't have to be willing helpers in that. We can choose to, at the yeah. very least, stand aside. That we don't have to effectively foot to overextend the metaphor, carry the buckets and use the sponges for them. Yeah, exactly that. I think the, the thing is, City fans should be quite willing to, to, to criticise the owners and, and not feel that they have to be defensive of the club at all times. And I, I find it very... Um, I, I, I suppose when I wrote it, I, I kind of knew it was going to end up in, in going in this direction. But I, I really, really wanted to stay out of the uh, sort of what about her in realms yeah. because I, I don't want it to become an argument of, yeah, well, United's owners defended uh, or funded the Glazer campaign. And, uh, you know, Standard Chartered have got murky dealings in their past and they sponsor Liverpool. And it's, so why aren't you taking issue with these? And the, the answer is, I, you know what, that's. I actually think that's the United fans and the Liverpool fans to, to to take issue with if they want to, and I don't. I think like for for, for this instance, there's there's so much of there's so many City fans who are willing to to log on to uh, to internet forums and social media and say, well, the you know what happens in Abu Dhabi is nowhere near as bad as it is reported, and I'm, and I'm always like, mm, I don't like. Why would you know that? Why would you care about that? Why would you put yourself in that position unless you were somebody who had experience of that. I, I always, I always talk about uh, kind of, um, I, I find it interesting the way the news media works in, in always seeking balance. If you always get two sides of the story, sometimes the story doesn't quite have two even sides. So why are we getting two people on to discuss it? Like take climate change, for instance, yeah. you wouldn't put a climate change denier up against, you know, a, a, a scientist and say, right, well, there we are. We've got an even debate because 99% of the, uh, of the people who have researched it and look into it will say, well, climate change is happening and it's a real thing. The 1% on the other side, uh, you, you shouldn't give them equal weight. And I, I think the same sort of thing should apply here. And to bring it all back around to the overall points, I, th I think City fans should be able to enjoy what the team do and watch the team and separate that away from the practices of the ownership in, in the home country. And I think, it's, it, I think it's important not to get the two things as City fans mixed up. Do you think it's important from the outside world's point of view? So I use the to use the FFP thing. So for instance, there's as soon as the the FFP story breaks and 
people lose their heads all over the place. Everyone loses their heads because because some people are just are just uh, uh, almost pre-programmed to lose their heads. One of the things that occurred to me <laughs> was when I was looking at things and people were saying, "Oh, you know, if the Doctor City points in the league, Liverpool would win the league." And 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 I was thinking, and because my thing on this is, I the thing that I think gets overlooked all the time, and it explains partially how I write about football is the emotion and the journey. So, for instance, if they did Doc City two points and it meant that Liverpool won the league, well, I would not have had a moment in a ground where Liverpool win the league. So Liverpool may well be logged as champions, and that would be, you know, and I'm sure that all, we'd all come round to it to a degree over time. But I wouldn't have had that moment with my friends of the journey and the emotion and that explosion of joy. And the flip side of that, to bring it back to a City point, is what I find almost awkward to watch at times is people trying to make Manchester City where the supporters who are paying money through the gate to watch a football team, however they've been amassed together. And also that those 20, those group, that 20-man squad of lads who are broadly speaking all in their 20s slash early 30s, who've all coalesced together to do a certain thing as well. And you're trying to pour scorn on that journey and that achievement. They've still got to go and play the football matches and you all still go and watch them. Does that make sense? That we can't we can't strip the journey away, even if how it's come about, and, and that'll all come out in the wash maybe, even if how it's come about's not great, we've still got to have had that emotional journey. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you with that. And I think the... Um... The the key thing with the financial fair play stuff is, um, I mean, I, I, your listeners will have to take into account that, you know, my personal biases on this. I am a City fan. I'm delighted City have won the league. Yes, yes, yes. I wouldn't like to see them dot points and, and, and lose the title sort of thing. So you might have to kind of consider what I say with a pinch of salt. But again, I agree with you. I don't think, I, I don't think that's the, the, the way we should be going about it. And I think when you look at, at, at again, financial fair play, me as a city fan, I you know I I honestly don't care. I don't care what happens to the club. If the club has broken the rules, then go ahead and punish them. But they they need to be investigated and, and looked into. And I don't think it should fall on me to to, uh, to to kind of answer for the club in this in this way. Who it falls on is the people who have run the books and the people who are trying or, or who have. But also it, your experience of being in, yeah. But your experience of being in Brighton shouldn't be taken away either. Your experience yeah, of watching City score four goals against Brighton and win the title, that shouldn't be taken away either. And that that and and when I think that where when people try to discuss slash argue with City fans on this, where I, I always my awkward line and why this doesn't cut through is somewhat is is it feels at times like someone's trying to rob your memories. Someone's trying to say your memory shouldn't count. And I like I would never want anyone to tell me as a football supporter who's lived the journey I've lived with Liverpool that I my memories don't get to count. That my, my enjoyment doesn't get to count. Yeah, no, I, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And, and if uh, I mean, take argument, take the the comeback in Istanbul for Liverpool. If you were to to be told that, uh, oh, we, we've we've gone back and we found that Liverpool broke this rule, you know, on the on the admin side of, uh, yeah. of the game in the in the summer, you would still go, well, you know, they still have to win the game. You know, <laughs> they still have to go out and do it. So it's yeah, I take your point, but then again, the counter argument to that will always be yeah, but they had a helping hand with you know if it's if it's in this instance for City and financial fair play, if City have spent more money than they than they should have been allowed to, maybe one of the playing staff might not have been able to be there. Oh, yeah, for the yeah. Season. So you know, it's it's the same sort of thing, and I mean, I, I always look at it as um, it, it's. It's a very, very murky world, and wherever there is a lot of money, there is somebody trying not. There's somebody trying to, to to get the best out of the situation. There's probably a lot of not very nice people, and it, you know, it, it it just feels like what we're doing here is dragging a lot of normal people and a lot of. Um, and I, I use that word in, uh, to kind of yeah. describe 
your average man and woman on the street. We're dragging all of us into the same sort of standing. And, and I don't think we should be doing that. I think we should be, you know, football throughout the years has been a very, very good tool for uh, uniting people, uniting people of uh, very different backgrounds. So what I think we should be doing is is using that as, as an opportunity for fans to go, well, you know what, if you, if you lot have, have mucked up this financial fair play situation, well, you know, that, that's your fault and I'm not going to defend you for it. And I think you should be, you know, you should be, it's on you this that it, that it's happened and yeah I've got I, I've got all these great memories that you have taken off me it's nobody's it would be nobody's fault but cities and I think that when it comes to the the, the, the likes of financial fair play and uh, and certainly with the the human rights stuff I always look at it as as like a marriage you know if uh, people people have always said to me if you uh, if your if your partner uh, became a murderer. You wouldn't, you wouldn't still love them and, and go with them. And I, and I think what what it is is it, it's not your partner becoming a murderer. It, it's it's their family or their parents or something like that. Something that's out of their control. You still feel the same way about them. Does that make sense? That makes I don't sense. Know if yeah. that, that, that might be a terrible analogy. I don't know, <laughs> but that, that's 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 kind of how I, uh, I how I've always seen it. And you know, this this season has been a fantastic season for both City and Liverpool. And and the way they've played. If you were to suddenly switch the title because of um, you know City's problems behind the scenes, and if they if they were found guilty of the, the financial fair play allegations, then I think Liverpool fans would feel it was a hollow victory, and I feel City fans would feel cheated out of it. And whether or not that's the right outcome, it, you know, it, it, it's something we can argue about all day long. But what it will feel like is these two great seasons that we've had will, will both feel a little bit empty. Absolutely. Just very quickly, uh, just on the season itself. Uh, I can't be bothered doing the bus, so we're about to run out of time anyway. Um, Saturday's <laughs> Cup final against Watford. Um, just want to grab you on that very, very, very briefly indeed. Obviously, you're going into a favourite, but it would be fair to say just for listeners who may not have watched early in the season, you've had two tough games against Watford, I think. Two games where Watford have actually finished quite strongly against you. This is, this is not going to be straightforward, is it? It won't at all, and um, I'm not going to lie. When the draw was made for the semi-finals, I was, I was, I was absolutely delighted to have avoided both Wolves and Watford in that instance. I think Wolves would have been the same um, for City in the final. Uh, you take the two league games against uh, against Watford. The irony was uh, it was um, I know he, I know he's since been cancelled, but uh, Danny Baker at the at the start of the season, uh, City took the lead at, at Vicarage Road and were playing absolutely brilliant football. And he tweeted something along the lines of, oh, just have City the title now because nobody can compete with this. And the irony was that from then on in, City scored again. Watford were a better team for the last half an hour, got a, got a goal back and City lost the next two games and uh, spent the rest of the season pretty much chasing Liverpool for, uh, for, for that top spot. So it's... Uh, it, it, it was. It, it felt at the time when City took the lead against Watford that they would just go on and blitz them. But you have to give them credit; they played really well to get back into that game. And then the flip side, uh, the, the game at the Etihad, um, there, there was that really, really bizarre Raheem Sterling offside goal that um, it just made Watford lose their heads. And before that, they'd been playing brilliantly, and for you know, for, for, for ten minutes or so, Watford lost their heads, and City took complete advantage of that. So. That can't happen in, in the cup final with the VAR at Wembley, so there won't there won't be a, an offside goal that that kind of dis, uh, disrupts their their flow and momentum. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it how it goes. And it's um, as a lot of people are, are, or uh, a lot of people outside of the city fan base, let's say, 
are treating it as a foregone con- conclusion, and I really think that's a, that, that that underestimates how good Watford have been this season. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much to David. Uh, let's get back over. Thank you very much to Josh, uh, to Neil, to Matt, and to Dave Mooney. Uh, we are back to have a chat. We were going to have a chat about how lovely it is that Liverpool are just in a Champions League final, which might sound a little bit boring, but it is sort of where our heads are. The one thing I would say is that there's just been a little explosion whilst we've been chatting away of Lloyd Kelly rumours. He is uh, a left-back at Bristol City. Uh, he's 20 years old. He's the England under-21 left-back. Uh, can also His long-term future is expected to be at centre-half as well. Um, as we're recording this, there's nothing that sort of coming clear and I don't think Liverpool would announce anything before the final game of the season but regardless uh, just sort of check the Lloyd Kelly thing out if you want uh, makes sense for around the money that's being quoted and solves the problem as to who's going to cover Andy Robertson maybe next season with an eye on him moving getting some experience and moving from there but who knows uh, who knows where this one ends up uh, we will have that on the Anfield app on Monday uh, there'll also be I think a gutter uh, next week as well to tick this sort of stuff off all of that to come and the AnfieldApp.com for that Um it's this strange period, Kiva, where there's this elongated rest, in a sense, between the games. You suspect for Liverpool, the rest before the excitement of a big Champions League week, big Champions League media coverage, all the stuff that is going to happen is as much about these players getting to rest their brains as it is about them getting to rest their legs. Yeah, and they're all on holiday, aren't they? They're all over the world, which I'm like, just stay at home, just stay in your house on Merseyside, please, and just like wrap yourselves up, don't... Don't um, get any injuries because I think did Chelsea. I think Ruben Loftus Cheeks injured because they played Achilles. in America versus like some mad American football team or something. I don't know. Fabio Aurelio yeah. did his knee ligaments on the beach with his kids once, didn't he? If I remember correctly. And is that like Peter Crouch story where he like drives into Chabi Alonso, but then he swerves at the last minute and like nearly kills their coach before the 2007 final? Lads, just stay at home, please, and stay safe. But yeah, um, as long as they're relaxing, because I feel like they do need that sort of, I think we all maybe need this moment of just like to draw breath a little bit. But then, you know, after the final whistle on Sunday, we sort of knew, well, we did know that, you know, we haven't won the Premier League by a point and all that. But there was this optimism in the air because we're going towards something not greater, but arguably greater in the grand scheme of things. You know, the European Cup for me is probably the biggest and the best. Obviously, we've went such a long time about winning the Premier League, so we did want to do that. But, you know, um, yeah, just just rest up safe, lads, and get us get us there and get us number six. That's all I want. Kim, they, they, they went through a lot, I think, in those last few games. You know, you only had to see at times the, 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 the cut to the faces. I think after Newcastle is a really good one of a football team that's just dragged itself through one more time. You've got players on the pitch in tears, understandably, after the Barcelona comeback. You know, it's perfectly reasonable, but it, it shows, I think, that the toll we, you know, we so much talk about it as wear and tear on legs, on bodies, but it is as much, I think, wear and tear on minds, even of really senior professionals like Milner, who was one of the ones who was visibly moved to tears after the Barcelona game. Well, they'd gone through, I think, hell and back. Uh, they'd taken us all there with them. Um, and I just remember distinctly speaking psychologically that the stress, the anxiety of not knowing what was going to happen next. No one knew what was going to happen next. But by the end of it, we all knew. So that flood of relief from everyone on the ground, everyone on the pitch. I remember just standing there at the end of the match against Barcelona and just standing there with my hands on my head like and not knowing 
should I go home now? <laughs> should, should I stay here? Uh, do, do, do I do, calm down? Like, you know, just or do I go to the pub and have a drink and then go home? And I just remember thinking that as it was emptying, there was a, an older man who was in a block by himself in a row on his own. And he was sitting there just openly weeping. And I thought, oh, yeah, masculine toxicity doesn't really exist. And I walked over to him and I gave him a hug. And all he said, and I, I don't know if I can swear. You can swear. But as he, as he hugged me and he looked at me, he just said, fucking hell. <laughs> and just walked away. And I imagine that that's what the players felt as well. They, they needed that release because we didn't know how close we were. Do you think this, the, 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 come back to you, Kim, the, the players have lived, I think, these two realities, one in Europe and one in the league since, I think, since, uh, since Bayern Munich away, where they're able to control the one in Europe, like they determine their own destiny. And I think if you look at some performances in there, Bayern Munich away is one. The way they look after the Porto game in the end is another. That second leg against Barcelona, that's controlling your own destiny. They've had this other stress where there's this thing they're desperate for, you know, everyone's desperate for, but they can't control. They can't control the outcome of that. They've ended up in a position where the, the, the ability to control that lost. And they've been, I think they're two quite different places to be in and they, they will have been for the players for a while. Yeah, it's a split brain, you know. They've got a, a mind that's domestic and a mind that's like, you know, European Cup. And I, I, I personally, I don't know how they do it. I don't know if I could do that as well. If I can, if I could hold stress at the same time for two very different, very different competitions. But um, I think that going back to Europe for them. I think it's something that they'd never experienced before. So, uh, not having the the league yeah. title. No, I think I, th- I think I'll just to come to, I'll come to you on this, Dan, because I've been sort of sort of doing a little bit of season reviewy things, and I think that when Kim says they're coming back to Europe, I think the most important game of the season is Bayern Munich away. And I think when we look at the season, obviously it now gets to be the European Cup final, but it's Bayern Munich away, and the reason why was the. They'd had a couple of draws in the league. They'd had the draw at home against Bayern. And then they go to Bayern. They're the best team on the pitch by a mile. They dominate the game, run the game. Uh, they score the brilliant goals that they score. And from there, from Bayern, they win every single game. And I think it allowed them to sort of click back into another mode. It allowed them to feel less like they were buffeted by events and to say, actually, we control events. They then go to Fulham and win. Late penalty there comes through for them. I think that that allowed... And all the way through, everyone was saying, which one do you want? You know, and everyone was asking the players, asking the manager, which one do you want? Which one do you want to win? And the manager was quite like, it's got to be both. It's got to be both. Gary Neville says something, it's got to be both. And I think that's an awareness that these players needed to, they needed to have both, actually. They needed both. Yeah, it's, it's a concept I'd not thought about in terms of the separation. Um, I think that, I don't, I don't think they ever lost belief in Europe because, you know, the first game they have that unbelievable encounter with PSG and it, it ends the way it does. And I think that is is in many ways a marker for the season in that they, they find a way to win against one of the most um, decorated sides in Europe in terms of, you know, the pedigree of player they've got and stuff like that. So I think that gave them, a, a, you know, a lot of a lot of belief to going forward with the league and it's it's probably has played into one another. I think when Alderman said something this week about it being, you know, something we can control this this final and... It's interesting thinking about it then. I was just thinking what, what mode of Liverpool would be better going into this. I think you can argue, there's an argument that you you could ask them to be, um, you could better ask them to be in league mode going into this in terms of, yeah, okay, you know, Europe's in our hands and Europe's in our, our own destiny and stuff like that. But, you know, the attitude of, that they've carried throughout the league, throughout the season is just win. Just find a way to win over 90 minutes. 
and just finding that way to win and, and not settling for anything else than a win in, in whatever way you do it um, could probably serve them better than a one-off encounter plus they're playing a domestic opponent um, but they'll marry all their experiences together I think the one thing that's huge and I think it's even playing out now you know when Kiva says about them going on holiday and stuff is all of this now will be intentional everything that they're doing even from the, from the final whistle against Wolves everything will be meticulous and it will be intentional and it will be because he had and they had that experience last year so he will know the manager what worked what didn't from the minute the final ball was kicked on the league season and from that the players will know how to prepare themselves mentally and physically as well they get that is the advantage isn't it Dan that they we, we've lived this they've all gone through this once I'm sure this is a bit odder, odder for, for, for for a few to- Tottenham players than it is for these Liverpool lads yeah, and there's also the the mentality factor with that, and obviously you know you don't need any extra motivation to to win a European Cup final, but they all know how much it hurts to to have to trudge off the pitch with a runners up medal, and to have to you know do this kind of slow walk around the sides of the pitch with your supporters and do the clapping, and they all last season looked like they just wanted the earth to swallow them up. Um, at the end of that final, they will all dread absolutely dread having that feeling again and that will drive them as much as as, as the desire to want the, the positive feeling of, of, of having won it and standing on the little platform and lifting it all high. Um, I think Spurs are, are strange in that, yes, they're, they're less experienced in this regard, but I think the way they've gone through the European Cup um, means they, they sort of try and just get through the rest on adrenaline now to try and get through the final on that. Um, they should have been knocked out about four times by this stage. Uh, they had one point after three matches in the group stage, and then scored three late winners uh, or, or late goals. I think I think one of them was an equaliser against PSV, Barca, and Inter to actually make it through the group. They did well against Dortmund, fair enough. They had that tie dead and buried by the start of the second leg, but then City that they are actually out. They are literally out of the competition until the VAR changes the referee's mind. Um, and then against Ajax, it's 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 the last kick of the game beyond uh, the other time that the referee had put on. So, I think for them, it's just about it, it's almost less about the preparation, and they just keep reminding themselves of that. They just keep saying, "We stick in the fairy tale." They, yeah, they just keep saying, "We keep doing mad things here." And you know what? Yeah, we are second best in this final because they finished twenty six points ahead of us and beaten us twice. We can't, you know, pretend that that's not the case. But we just need to do one more mad thing. That's part of this story that's been all season long. And even if you're 2-0 down, even if you're 3-0 down, that's just part of the story because we end up coming back and we win it. That's how we've done it before. And I think, you know, Liverpool have come through the semi-final in very tough circumstances as well. They had to come back. I think the the main thing about the whole the whole match to me is that it's never won until a whistle goes. And I know that, you know, that's a cliche that everyone comes out with for every match, but it's not actually true. Most footy matches, most footy matches are probably won by 70 in the grand scheme of things when you've got one team that's better than another. But this one, no matter what, is is not won until the whistle goes. You know, Liverpool could go into stoppage time 3-0 down, but they scored on 90 and there's six minutes to play. It would not be on the realms of possibility that Liverpool score twice or even the Tottenham score twice. So I think I think the the mentality thing is 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 interesting because I think they'll both approach it differently, but they'll both they'll both be talking about the ways they see they see themselves home. And for once, it's Liverpool talking about having experience in something rather than oh, you know, trying to just do it on on the fact that we're improving under the manager and whatever else, and and we're underdogs, but we've got the spirit and that kind of thing. Liverpool are, are heavy favourites in this final for my money, um, so we have to approach it in in. You know, by learning the lessons of Kiev, but also with a kind of different attitude towards it than what we did going up against Real Madrid. Okay, quick 
check a pulse around the table, you're really excited? Really, really excited. I feel like just to add to that really quick, Spurs are almost riding like the wave of luck. They just keep, obviously, the spirit and determination and grit to show it to the end. Liverpool are now riding this avoiding agony again. So we're kind of like, you know, we just missed out in the league. We, we're riding against not like the despair. We can't face that again because we don't know what the other side of that looks like really. And we don't really want to go there. So I'm very excited, but very nervous. Excited to see the abyss. Kim, you excited? Uh, yeah, I'm and the abyss, yes. I, I'm excited. I'm excited more so to see Jordan Henderson be vindicated, perhaps. Great job, though. Everyone wants to see Jordan lift something up. I want to see him lift something. I just... Any, anything. He couldn't lift his legs against Barcelona. I want, I want to see him lift something. And, and another thing for, for Mo Salah to find Sergio Ramos on the beach somewhere <laughs> and just put his hand gently on his shoulder and say, not today. Not today. Oh. You excited? I'm hugely excited. I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've no shame in saying this. I'm as convinced as I've ever been that we're going to win the European Cup. And I don't mind, you know, standing on the platform if we don't. I don't care. I, I can only go off what I feel. And I, I just think it's, it's, it's a wonderful situation because it, it, in many ways it's a culmination of what this manager's built in that I feel like we all want it for them as much as they want it for us. Yeah. And that, I've never felt that before. And I do, you know, I, when I think of them, I want it more for them than myself. That's what I'm in this for. I'm going to Madrid for them. That's want- mad because they're on so much money and living these lifestyles, but they don't seem like that. We seem so connected. and it's. This that's- is what this, this man has done for this football club. You know, he has, he has brought everything together, not just players and fans. He has unified the whole thing. And it's it's just deserved. It's it's deserved. And, and I know you don't always get what you deserve, but, you know, I think... I, I, just on Dan's point in terms of the game, I think if Liverpool gets a 2 another at any point, I think that's it. So, that's uh, like countable. I think that'll... But to counter you, Dan, I very much want it for me. (laughs) 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 I I will be the gobshite after you've just done your whole selfless chat there. I want Liverpool to win a European Cup because I've never been in the ground when they've won a European Cup. Um, And I was nine, I think, when they last won one. Um, So I'm very much about me watching that happen. But that's sound because they all want it for you. So it's it's great. Everyone's all together on this. Just win it. Uh, Everyone's all together on this. Uh, Probably the the last time I'll tell this story, but I was... uh, Found myself somewhat upset walking out, as I suspect a lot of people did, out of Kiev last season. I was with Dan Morgan, and he got hold of me in the street, and he held me face, and he looked into my eyes, and he said, those lads will be back, you know. You don't have to worry about this. Those lads, those lads will be back. Only took a year. Sports Social Podcast Network.